Hi, this is Nicole Serrato, and welcome to the Power of Ambition podcast, a podcast where thoughtful conversations happen about the journey to rise above mediocrity, whether in your professional, personal, family, or love life. We discuss what it means to strive for more in life, break generational cycles, and live your definition of success. The title of my podcast, The Power of Ambition, pays homage to Jim Rohn, a motivational speaker. He changed my life when I started listening to his tapes in my early 20s. I learned from him and countless others about the power of ambition and the importance of self-development. This podcast is for all those on a journey of personal development, as I believe it is the key to living a happy and fulfilled life. Now let's get into it. Um, welcome, everyone, to the next episode of The Power of Ambition. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Chem. Thanks for having me. Killa. Killy. Killy? Killa. Oh, I was like, Killa. Killa, that's a good one. And the first name you pronounce, Jem. Chem? Jem. Jem? Like with the G? Like a Gemini, just Jem. Oh, it's because not... Because the C in Turkish is like a G. Wow, we're already learning stuff yeah. about you. Okay. So it's Jem. Gem. Yeah. As like, as in a gem? Like a, like a gem. diamond? Yeah. Oh. That's the real, that's how you pronounce it. Okay, so what's your real name? That's my real name. Yes, no. Not okay. Because <laughs> I read what your real <laughs> name is. C- C- not Oh, that's your real name in, that's, in yeah, Turkish. That's my full name. How come I read it was Andrew somewhere? <laughs> I, don't know, that's, I don't know. I go by many names. <laughs> but that's my real name. So in Turkish, your name is C E M. Yes. And it's pronounced Jem. Yes. The C in Turkish is pronounced like a G. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it's Jem. A lot of people call me Chem. Mm. I don't know why. But well, now I'm going to call you Jem from now Gem. on. Gem. Yeah, okay. And then so K I L I C C Kili. Kili. Oh, Killick. You know, because you're a fighter. I thought, like, Chem the Killer. Yeah, that's, that's my actual name. It's not even a nickname. It's my real really? name. Really? My passport, yes. Wow. That's what a great name for a fighter. I know. I didn't know my parents gave that name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so, okay, so we know that you're Turkish based yes. on the pronunciation yeah, of your exactly. name. Um, why don't you tell everyone who you are? Just a little introduction. I'm Jem Killick. I come, I'm from Turkey. I was born and raised in Germany, but I spent a lot of time in Turkey. So I was back and forth. I'm a professional fighter. I fought for the national team of Turkey. I was an Olympic team. And 2014, I moved to the United States, Los Angeles. So I live here eight years now, but I was going back and forth. So you've been in Los Angeles for eight years. You've lived here for eight years. Eight years ago. You're originally, were you born and raised in Turkey? Born and raised in Germany. In Germany, but you're Turkish. Turkish, but I would go as a little kid always to Turkey. Turkey is, just th- is a three-hour flight. From, from Germany. Germany. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was so that close. I spent a lot of time in Turkey, in Germany, so a lot of back and forth. Okay. Because it's close, and my, my parents are immigrants from Turkey to Germany. Oh, so, so I was s- born and raised in Germany. Oh, I see. So what? What? How old were you when you moved to Germany? I lived. I was. You were. You were born in Germany. Yes, born and raised. Oh, okay. But I lived. I moved to Turkey for the when I became when I fight the national team. 
Then at 16 years old, I spent four years in Turkey. I was still going back to Germany. I would spend most of the time in Turkey for boxing. And then in 2014, I moved to the United States. Okay. So I have three homes. Turkey. <laughs> Germany. And Germany the, and Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay. So your parents, um, you know, why did they move to Germany? What did they do for a living? So my grandfather, my mom's dad, back in the time when the world was after the Second World War, then the Germans needed help. So they had a bunch of Turkish people come to Germany to help to recover the country, to build up, build back. And my grandparents went to Germany for help. And then my mom and my uncles, and they were born in Turkey. So eventually they moved to Germany. And my dad moved to Germany for a better life. Mm. He was 28 when he moved to Germany. Wow. So my parents met. In Germany. Are you an only child? No, I have four more, four siblings. We're five total. Are you the youngest middle child? Second youngest. Okay. I have a younger sister, older brother, and two older, and two older sisters. Oh, big family. Big family. A big family. I have a lot of cousins. Uncles. <laughs> I have a lot of So family, family parties members. are huge? <laughs> yeah, in the, especially in the Middle East. In the Middle Eastern people have a lot of big, like, big families. So I have a lot of cousins. So what part of uh, Germany were you raised in? Frankfurt. Frank Frankfurt? Yeah. Is that like a small town? Is it a big city? It's a big city, but I was in the suburbs. So a very small town. Mm. 4,000 citizens. 4,000? 4, 4,000. 4, and I came from there to L.A. I don't know how many people, millions of people here. Yeah. It that was a shock. Be... I hated it here. Oh, that's... I wanted to go home. Mm. So after the fights... I'll tell my manager I'm going back home for two weeks. I end up staying for six, seven months, and then come back for fights and then go. Yeah. How was living in a small town? Four thousand people. Wow. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone knew each other, but it was also rough for me. I grew up very rough. Well, um, let's talk about the great part first. <laughs> yeah. So the great part is everyone knows each other. It's a small town, but there's nothing you can accomplish, really, you know? Yeah. What's your your favorite childhood memory? Hanging out in, like, the forest. We have, I lived in a place where there was a lot of forest. Beautiful forest. Like magical? Yeah, it's like the jungle, you know? Like Virginia, you know, a lot. So I would spend all day long in the forest. I know everything there, you know? I could walk and just... Blind, I can't find everything in the forest. Big forest. I would never get lost. Mm. So I would spend a lot of time there. Yeah. My favorite times were the times in the forest. Yeah. Hanging out with friends, playing soccer. Okay. Yeah. Football. Football. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was tough about growing up there? It was just growing up because I, so I, when I became a teenager, I had bad friends. Early teenager. You had bad friends? Yeah, so we were going to the biggest, in the big city. And then we were getting into trouble and poverty. I grew up poor. Oh. You know, so it was just rough growing up. What What's growing up in Germany poor like? Like, what's your, what's, what, what is your experience? Is it with food? Is it with shelter? Is it with opportunity? It's hard to find food because especially there's racism towards Turkish people. So they don't look out for us, you know. It's more like we have to look out for each other. 
And then there was a lot of days no food. And I would steal, you know. Mm-hmm. I would steal food. I, would, I got arrested at eight, eight years old. You got arrested at eight? I got handcuffed. What did you? Stealing ice cream. You stole the ice yeah. cream? What flavor? Uh, I think it was like vanilla ice cream. Oh, man. Yeah, that's vanilla. hard, though. Yeah. So I grew up like that. No money, no food. I grew up with my three siblings sleeping on the same mattress. Mm-hmm. And, but I had a purpose in my life. I want to get out of this. I want to make a lot of money and help my family mm-hmm. and show everyone that we also that we also can have what they have, you know? Yeah. And yeah, and then when I became 12, I was 12 years old, 13 years old, I started boxing. Yeah. And then I loved the sport. I said, I'm going to, this is going to change my life. Yeah. And so, it changed my life. So from, from eight years old, from when you stole the vanilla ice cream, yeah. which I love vanilla ice cream. <laughs> Me too. I mean, ice cream in general. <laughs> Um, like, where did the thought come that, like, you know, there has to be more to life than this? Like, was it a song? Was it a movie? Was it something someone said? Movies and just the pe- the rich people. You know, I've seen the rich people. They mm-hmm. have it all. They get treated so nice. And for me, as a kid, you know, I'm a kid. So it doesn't make sense. I'm like, how do they have everything? We don't have it. And they just live, like, two blocks down. And so I was starting asking those questions to myself. I'm like, well, how is that possible? They can do this and do that, and we can't. Because I couldn't understand why. I don't know if money is important. Your parents have to have this job or whatever. So I never understood, but I was just tired of it. You know, seeing my family living like that. So I started doing, I was playing basketball. I started playing soccer. I wanted to become an athlete. I want to just make something happy so I can make a lot of money. And just changed my life and my family's life. Yeah. So eventually I started boxing. So how did you how did you end up boxing? Like who introduced you to that? Kind of my friends and my brother. But it was more like I was fat. I was a chubby fat kid. Yeah. And then I was a chubby fat kid too. <laughs> <laughs> well not yeah. like well like when I got older, teenager. I was really? a chubby fat teenager. No, it is. Yeah. It gets to your head. Yeah. So I was a fact, you know, when people call you fat or chubby or whatever, they say something or they say something about your food. So my own friend was picking on me. Mm. And he said, you're fat or something. And we started to fight. He whooped my ass. And oh. I broke my hand and it hurt my pride so much. How old were you? I was 11. 11 or 12. That was your first fight yeah. you lost? My first fight and Ever. only one. <laughs> yeah. It was my first fight lost because he beat my ass and I broke my hand. So after my hand was okay, it took me two months. I went to a kickboxing class. I wanted to just learn to fight, you know, lose weight and to learn how to defend myself. But then all the people in the boxing kickboxing gym gym they were all growing up people. I was the only kid and my brother said, Let's go to the boxing he was my brother was boxing at the time. He said, Let's go to the boxing gym next door. And you can learn. And I went to the boxing gym next door my first day. The coach had me spar with one of the kids from, you know, the gypsy kid. I know him from the neighborhood. And I beat his ass. I was so good in boxing. The coach loved it. The coach was like, hey, he got so much talent to my brother. He said, I want to see me every day. Then I started going. I love the sport. I didn't even care about fighting in the streets anymore, you know. And then, Were you fighting in the streets at that time? Always, even after I boxed. 
So I after no that choice. first fight you lost, you're like, no more. Uh, yeah, I still got into street <laughs> fights. But that's a different story. And then I started boxing. Two years later, I made it to the national team. And then Wait, 17. so how old were you at this point? You started boxing at, well, you got 13. in your first fight at, at 11. You I went got first, yeah, 12, I was 12 years old, 12, 13 when I started boxing. And when I had my first fight. And then two years after that, I was 15, I made it to the national team. And then 17 years old, I was in the Olympic team. And the Olympic uh, team? Yeah. But wow. they didn't take me to the Olympics. How do you how do you get into the Olympic team? You fight the best one in your in your team. Say nationally. Like, yeah, nationally. Say from eighty million people, there's a couple thousand boxers. So you fight the best and I beat him. But that guy was old. I was 17 years old and he was 28 and he went to the Olympics already before. Wow. So they still took him and I went to the world championships and I met Americans there and that's how I came to the United States. They invited me. So wow. that's how everything started. Yeah, and then when I came here, everything just started moving fast. Too so fast. let's bring them up to date a little bit. Um, what is your current record as a professional boxer? 17 and 1. 17 and 1. I only lost for the world title eliminator. World title what? Eliminator fight. So if I would win that fight, I would fight. I would get a chance to fight the world champion. Oh, okay. For the actual belt. But it was a close fight. My coach threw the towel. He lost the fighter. The fighter died in the ring a couple of weeks before. So oh, he shouldn't tough. throw the towel. He threw the towel. The fight stopped. And yeah, that's my only loss in my career. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have a long career ahead of you. Yeah. 17 and 1. I fought a lot of big fights, so I'm keep going. What's, um, do you know when your next fight is yet? I just saw you fight. Yeah, I just fought two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, two weeks two ago. Two weeks was ago. There. It was a tough one. Yeah, I think my next fight is going to be in November. Another big one. So that should get me back in the top 10, you know? Yeah. I was number five in the world a couple, two years ago. Yeah. How has your family's life changed since you've become a professional boxer? A lot. Very. Even when they go out in the streets, because when I go back home, everyone knows me there. So they love me. It's like, I'm like a hero. Because mm. I'm the first fighter from my country ever turned professionally here. Really? Yeah. In history of boxing. From, from Turkey? From Turkey. And there's no world champion. Oh. So I inspire a lot of Turkish fighters to turn professional. Yeah, and then now when I go home, and even my parents, they go on the streets. They just they treat them better. Yeah. What do your What do your parents do for a living? My mom is, uh, works with her brother. My brother has a car, like a dealership. Oh, your brother has a car dealership. My mom's brother. Oh, your mom's brother. Yeah, and my dad has owns ta- taxis. Mm. So he has a taxi company. Yeah. So that's what he does now. Nice. Yeah. So my mom just is with her brother and my dad does that. They they divorced. Yeah. yeah. You go back and visit all the time? Yeah, I was there last year. Has there anybody that you grew up with that, you know, has is kind of just kind of stuck in the same place? All of them. All of them? All of them. Yeah, they never had the mindset to really move. I wonder sometimes, I'm asking, what do you guys do here? Mm-hmm. When I go back, you know, I'm so used to the big city life now. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to go to the big cities there, but I'm like, what do you guys want to do for the rest of your life? Just stay here? Yeah. You know, see the world, go explore. Yeah. 
How has traveling changed you? Great. I learned a lot through traveling. I tra- we travel all the time. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. So I've seen a lot of different countries, a lot of different cultures, different people, different mindsets. So that changed me a lot, you know. So I understand a lot more about people. I kind of understand the people's cultures. Yeah. So I don't take it so personal when something happens, you know. What's the most memorable place you've ever visited? Jamaica. Jamaica? We just got back from Jamaica, yeah. My favorite, after Turkey, Jamaica is my favorite country. Really? Yes. The people is unbelievable. It's amazing. So I will, all my, my lifetime, I will go there very often to visit. I still have a lot of friends there now talking. I made a lot of friends when I left, went there, so I'm still talking to them. You're going to go back? Jamaica, I'm going to go definitely back more, like, often. Yeah, I love that place. What would you say to, you know, young men or women who want to be a professional boxer? What advice would you give them to go, like, on, a, on the journey that you've been on? Believe in yourself. First thing is you believe in yourself because sometimes there's people, they don't believe in you. They will tell you not to do it. The opposite. Dream killers. You just have to believe in yourself, work hard, stay focused, dedicate yourself. And you have to mean it, you know? If you just do it halfway and you're not sure about it, don't do it. You're not going to succeed in that. In anything in life, you have to give 100%. So if you have the mindset right and you really believe in yourself, you don't let anyone talk it out of you, yeah, you can't make it. Was your friends or were your friends and family supportive when you decided, you know, I want to be a boxer? Not really. I was doing everything on my own. So if you didn't choose boxing, what path did they want you to take? Like, what would you have been doing right now? School or work. The what? (laughs) Go to school or go to work. Mm -hmm. You know, work at my uncle's shop or construction. But school, I never wanted to go to school. You didn't like school? <laughs> I didn't like school. I you don't have school. a favorite subject, it's nothing. the worst. I quit school when I was 17, and I chose boxing. I put everything on one card. I said, that's it. I'm giving all for boxing. Mm. I never worked a job in my life. Nothing. Yeah. Only boxing. So I know your parents are proud now because you're like a national treasure, basically, mm, yes. right? But you said back then they weren't as supportive of it? Not really. So my dad was supporting me after I started the national team. He would travel with me. But even then, they would say, you should start finding a job and help out, make money. But I say, I can't, I'm not going to work for anyone. Yeah. I can't. I don't want to work for anyone. Was um, there a lot of fights that started because of it? Yeah, they didn't believe it. I was the only one. So I was always believed in it. And then there was a lot of fights at home because of that. Yeah. And but I never let that stop me, you know. I said, You guys gonna see eventually it's gonna happen. I'm not because I told them I'm not gonna work. I have a bigger plan in my head. I'm not gonna end up like you guys work nine to five and live by month to month, you know. So that happened early, 20 Mm. years old. 20, you were like 20, everything changed 180 degrees. And then I showed them, I said, you see now? And they like, they were, then everybody, all of a sudden, they believed. I always believed in you. Family members just coming out that you never heard of. Yeah. You know, I've heard about that. Coming out, they're like, oh, I'm your cousin. I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was early. So I showed them, I proved them wrong. Mm-hmm. I proved myself right and I proved them wrong. Yeah. 
Was there any doubt that you might not know what you were doing because you were so young that your parents might be right? Never. Never? Never. I never doubted myself. I believed in everything. I quit school. I left every, I left home. I came here with $200. I had a little suitcase. And I just said, okay, I'm going to do it. Six months. It took me six months in Los Angeles. My life changed, you know. Wow. My family's life changed. Even though a lot of them didn't really believe, I still, I'm a family person. I look out for them. Yeah. What yeah. do you think is the most important thing when it comes to family? Sticking together. Believe in each other. You know, support. So that's a very important thing. Show love. You gotta yeah. have a family relationship. I think that's very important. Do you have a, a favorite food that your mom cooks for you? Yeah, rice and chicken. There's a Turkish one. There's like chicken in rice. Mm-hmm. It's like mixed up. That's my favorite. Do they I mean, sell it only here? Only when she makes it. Though. They, they sell it in Turkey. Well, yes. I got to go to Turkey to try <laughs> you gotta it. Go. Turkey is the best food. <laughs> we have everything. It's the best food in Turkey. And very hospitable people. Nice. What um, challenges have you seen in your career so far that have been difficult to deal with? Why, probably people. Like, the closest people leave you, unexpected, you know? But after my first loss, the closest people I had to me, I really thought, okay, we're family. They start distancing, distancing themselves. You mean, like, friends? Friends. They're people that I look like as the family members. They stop talking. They turn their back, and that's all you know. It's a challenge. It's, the sport is actually serious. Mm. So everything, the whole time I was winning, everything is just nice and good. But then you lose, and then the challenges start, actually. The yeah. real challenges. You see who your, like, your true friends are yeah. and who's kind of just there. You end up alone. You're like, God damn, I was spending so many years with these people. They're just gone. Wow. Yeah. When did that happen? Two years ago. Really? Yeah. Two years, right before the pandemic. Literally two months before the pandemic. So so, so that's the one loss, that, the 17 and 1? Yes. So it's that one loss that that's you had? That one loss. And I promised myself I never want to lose again because I never want to experience that again. So at that time, what was your record? 14 and 0. 14 and 0. Yeah. And that one loss, can you walk me through the events on what happened? So I was a 14 and 0. I had a very rough fight. We had a nominated fight of the year. Very rough. It was at the MGM Grant in Las Vegas. And after that fight, I just thought I was on top of the world. You know, I was number one. I was the number one guy for fighting for the world title. And then I just thought I'm unbeatable, you know, and I've been partying a lot, not taking it so serious. Yeah. They told me, oh, you're going to fight this guy. He was 15-0, 14 knockouts. I was 14-0, nine knockouts. And I was like, all right, just bring him. So having fun, not taking it so serious. And then I went to Florida. I was in Florida for three months for training camp, but then the fight got postponed to another six weeks, and I was just ready to go home, you know. So I didn't take that so serious, and I had some stress outside of boxing, and I think that affected me a lot, so I lost the fight, mm. you know. And when I lost, that was a good lesson, life lesson for me. But I got my freedom back because it kind of was kind of like, like, you know, when you're on top of the world, you have all these people around you, lots, there's lots of pressure. 
So you're not really free because you have to listen to everything to keep that going. After you lose, you have some time, you have some time off to think, restructure. Mm -hmm. Then I use that time right. You know, I rebuild everything. Yeah. And now I feel, live free. Yeah. Did you change management at the time after that loss? Like, what what other changes occurred? Yeah, management, promotion, change, everything, complete everything. I just kept my fitness trainer. Really? Yeah. Everything is com. Everybody in my team is new. Yeah. Everyone. So after after that, trainer. you took a break. You're like, I'm gonna take some time off, reassess, like who's actually here for me. Right. Took two years off, almost. Really? Yeah. The whole pandemic. Not off. I was training. Yeah. But no fights. I had no management, no promoter. And so now your manager is Brickhouse? I don't know how that works. Yeah. David, <laughs> 3 p.m. Brickhouse people, David yeah. and AJ. Yeah. So how did Shout you? Shout out to them. Yes. <laughs> That's my dream, too. Shout out to AJ and David. Yeah, um, very so good management. How did you end up at Brickhouse? So I was training, you know, uh, people know me in boxing. So David, Zurdo, Ramirez's manager, hit me up for sparring with Zurdo. So then Brickhouse wasn't even open yet. You know? Oh, this is before the gym opened. There was just that one ring, and the gym was only open for them. So I went there for sparring and had a good sparring sessions with Zurdo. His management liked me, so they kept me around. And I started liking the people in Brickhouse and the gym. So I started going to Brickhouse all, all the time. And eventually I asked Brian Viloria. He was my teammate. He, he was, I had my first fight on his undercard. Oh, really? Yeah. So I asked Brian, like, Brian, I need a trainer, man. I don't have a trainer. Can you train me? He said, yeah, let's go. Let's see how we, if we can connect. And he was my longtime friend. Oh. Yeah. So you guys knew each other for a while for at a while. that point. Mm -hmm. I know him since I moved here. Okay. So at that time it was seven years. Now it's eight years. And then he said, yeah, let's do it. And I started training with Brian. This was just last year. Yeah, last year. Everything, this all happened in like seven months. And I started training with Brian. Then eventually I signed with 3 p.m. management from Brickhouse. And everything started going up, back up again. Amazing. So I restructured the business. It's going good again. It sounded like a rocky story over I here. Know, it was a rough <laughs> The last two years was hell, but I'm back now. Yeah. Um, Andy, how how much time are we into this? There, my watch went away. We're going to go on a, a five-minute break. And we're back. We're back now. <laughs> After that quick intermission. Um, that was pretty quick. Oh, that see, you were thirsty. I was thirsty. No, no, I drink this. I have it. He said, I don't want any water. I drink water fast. I was, I drink this is your last chance. You drink it all. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yes, water. I drink water. <laughs> um. Okay, so we're going to go. I want to talk about something that you said in the last, um, before we went on break. So you mentioned that, you know, you were 14 and 0. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of got cocky, sounds like. Not really cocky, or like but laid back, like not towards the people. Not no, 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 no. Cocky in my own head. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Not not towards people, but you kind of yeah. got like, you know, you're like, oh, I'm on top of the world. Right. I'm partying, da da da. Exactly. 
you lost one fight, and then everyone just disappeared. Everyone. Literally everyone. Your support system. The people at home. Your your family. Yeah. Yeah. And the supporters from home, they still support me. Yeah. They never turned. Yeah. It, it was people here that just, you thought were yeah. friends who became, who in your mind, they were like family. And so something like that similar happened to me. What and was it? So I was in finance for like a long time. We're not going to say yeah, how long. It's a but tough business. It was a tough business. But there was at some point I was making so much money. This was before the financial crash happened, like when everyone was losing their houses out here. Oh. And yeah, I was just, when, was, when was that? I don't know about oh, that. Oh, that's this is gonna date me. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Okay, okay. Who cares? <laughs> this yeah. was like 2008, 2009, mm. um, when the financial crash actually affected me. And I remember I lost everything. You know, I was I was making a lot of money for my uh-huh. age. I was I think 23 or 24. Yeah, because you're Yeah, and I was I was making really good money at the time. Oh yeah. I was making like, I don't know, between like four to seven thousand a month. I was on commission. So, you know, for me at 23, 24, that was a lot of money. Especially then. Yeah, especially back then. So it was like seven grand a month. You know, I had a lot of friends. It's a lot of money now still. It's it's a lot of money now, still, yeah. And so I, I had a lot of friends around and I remember the market crashed. <clears throat> and my income like was cut more than half. Like I started, I was only making a thousand to two thousand. Like it, it just dropped. Was good money for how old? Twenty two. Twenty three, twenty four. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was good money, but I mean, but my yeah, I my expenses mean, yeah. exactly. were already high. And I was living a life. I was being like a little tonteria, and I was spending all my money. Don't <laughs> so save up. I was not saving. I was not following my own financial advice. I was not saving money. And essentially what happened is all the people around me who I thought were friends, you know, like I couldn't even get a ride. Really? Yeah. Like I I, I lost my car. I lost everything. Were you surprised? I was shocked. I was shocked that people that I had, you know, paid for dinner for, people who turned to me for anything that I would give them, I couldn't even get a ride from them. Yeah, so they chose and, you to choose. Yeah. Good things happen early. Yeah, exactly, you know? which is similar to you, you know? Right. Exactly. And, and so it's like, it's kind of a shock to your system because, you know, and I, during that time, I got so depressed because I was like, wait, I thought these people were my friends. And now that I've like, I'm temporarily losing because I always saw it as I'm temporarily losing. You know, they all disappeared. And all of a sudden, they weren't my friends anymore. How did that affect your trust? Um, It didn't affect my trust. I think it it made me view friendships in more of a, like, more, I guess, I wouldn't say the word trust. I think it made me be more cautious of who oh, I was yeah. going to be friends with at that point. And um, around that time is actually when I met my best friend now. And really? it was when I was at my worst. So how and did that happen? It happened because, uh, you know, I thought like, okay, you know, I'm at my worst. All my friends yeah. are gone. Like, you know, I'm super vulnerable. And she knew I had no car. Uh, I had no place. I was like sleeping That's on a friend's couch. Yeah, time. I was sleeping on a friend's couch. You know, um, I I barely had even money to take the bus or pay my cell phone bill. Exactly. Like from that to that, it affects you. Even forget about the friends. 
Yeah. Plus that, you know, it's even worse, like kicking someone when he's down. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I met her at um, at our job, we met at work, you know, she invited me to a party and I was like, oh, you know, her dad's birthday party. And I was like, oh, I can't go. I don't, I don't have a car. It's kind of far. She goes, I'll pick you up. I'm like, oh, no, that's too far. It's like 40 minutes away from you. She goes, it's fine. I'm like, well, I don't have gas money to give you anything. She goes, no, you don't, you don't need to give me gas money. And she drove and picked me up and drove me to that's her dad's party and yeah. then drove me back and dropped me off. And we've been that's friends for 10 years friend. now. And that's, yeah. And ever since you've been best friends? Mm-hmm. That's a good, see, that's a, that's a positive side it is. of it. It is. You lost the, the friends, but they're actually not good friends. Exactly. So you made a real friend. Yeah. One good friend is better than all of the other ones. A hundred percent. Yeah. She's still a really good friend. She was the second guest on my podcast. She so was have... the first one. <laughs> That's what I told her. I was like, darn, you should have been the first one. <laughs> the first one. <laughs> but so how did it affect you? How, how did it affect you, you know, mentally when all these people who you considered family, that they became so close, these friends, you considered them family? Well, it affected me. Just my trust. I never trusted anyone before, and after that, I didn't even trust close friends. So mentally, so you had a hard time trusting. Yeah, and that just ruined everything. So after that, I trust no one. You know. How about now? <laughs> so I, I'm cool with people. Always cool with people, but yeah it affected me and then I got mentally I don't know how you how how did you deal with your mental problems um I started seeing a psychologist did it help yeah it did it did it saved me you got out of depression yeah yeah, yeah. I, w- I mean it is hard to get yourself out of a rut like that especially after success exactly because it feels like everything feels after that you don't see the light anymore you feel like everything's over forever it's not over it's just a loss. Yeah. You can always win again, you know? Yeah. So you can build. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it, when I, like it was, it was really hard to get out of it. I want to say it was hard. I had the therapist, you know, who I spoke, who I spoke to, but sometimes I felt like I was running in circles. Right. How you long know? did you see the therapist? Oh, I, I mean, I've been seeing a therapist since I was 19. So. Oh, so. So a long time. Yeah. But even before, even before the, the crash, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was so seeing a therapist. A yeah, I was already seeing yeah. a therapist before that um, because I struggled with depression before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know how you dealt with, you know, in your that 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 time. But like I always had depression since I was a kid. So yeah. I think the first sign of me having dealt with depression was when I was nine. Really? Mm-hmm. You know, from what? I was nine years old. I didn't steal candy. I mean, ice cream. <laughs> but um, I remember yeah. being super sad. Like, um, my mother was murdered when I was six. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know. Yeah, she was murdered That's when I was six years sense. old. Yeah. yeah, and so it was, it was really a sad time to, like, you know, you have your mom and then she's just gone. So then I got really close to my grandfather and then he died. And he died like... And, oh, and you, you grew up. That was, that's rough. Yeah, it was rough. And I was nine when he passed away. And so when he died, it felt like the whole world came crashing down on me. You know? And, and then I just like... Since then, I was just constantly battling depression at nine. 
Yeah. I, and I remember, um, you know, I I attempted suicide at that time. What did you do? When I was nine. If you don't mind asking. I mean. Because that's a hard thing to live with. It is. It is. You know? I I actually almost succeeded, but I stopped myself. Like I, I was. All right. Just a warning for our listeners. This is going to get graphic. Um I know I say that with a smile, but because I exactly. smile and laugh when things are awkward. <laughs> but um, it's a hard thing without the mom. You know, you know, you know. Part of me wants to say this first: is that the adult me now, like I know these things happen, but it almost feels like surreal. Like if I didn't live through it, even though I did, like it just feels so far in the past, you know. But it is part of my story, and it is a part that I don't talk about a lot. <clears throat> But um, I was so depressed after my grandfather died and after my mother left and I just felt so alone. I just thought, you know, life is, I wanted all the pain to end. You know, I just wanted it to stop. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know where I got the idea. I have no idea where I got the idea. How old were you at the time? Nine. I was nine. When you tried to commit suicide? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was nine years old. Yeah. And um, I remember getting... Uh, you know the bathrobes, how it has like a little rope? Yes. Well, this one was my grandmother's and it was really big. So it had like a really long rope. And so I tied that side like around my neck and then like tied it to the top of a like a cabinet thing. You know, I tied it up and I stepped off the ledge. And as I was slowly losing my breath, I was like, uh, I don't think this is a good idea. And I was able to, like, because it was by the closet, so I was able to, like, reach over to the closet door and stop it from happening. So afterwards, I just realized, like, this is an issue, you know? And I don't remember how I dealt with that at the time. I think I called a friend, and I told her about it, and she got super sad, and I got sad, but someone listened, you know? Um, how do you feel now? Because that affects your full life. Yeah, I tried two times yeah. after that. But it's when I when I saw my therapist when I was 19 is what what made a difference. That makes sense. You know, there's a real reason to have a therapist for because that affects you for your whole life. Probably still affects you, though. No. No? No. You get out of it. Yeah. That's a blessing, you know. Yeah. Ever since. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Have you seen have you seen been in therapy before? One time. But I didn't like it because I was therapying the guy. You were therapy in the therapist? <laughs> I was like, God damn, what, what is this? Am I the therapist or you? <laughs> so how did you deal with your, your mental health? or Because you were saying that you dealt with it, you know, it kind of, you had a tough time when you lost your friends. Yeah, and- I never talked really about my problems. So because growing up, it was a week, it was weak to talk about your problems. So I was dealing with it, but I started partying a lot more. Eating, drinking, I would drink a lot. Waking up, my first thing in the morning, have a drink, you know, and eat, party, drink. I got more aggressive. You were aggressive? Yeah. And how so? What do you like, mean? I would not be so calm anymore. I'm a very calm person. Very, you need to really like push the you... button to make me angry. Mm. I would get angry fast. You would like lash out? Yeah, so I'll go off on people quick. That's not me, you know. Yeah. You, I don't get angry really. Yeah. But yeah, I was like that for a while. I had a face where I was going off. I would not take any bullshit. Who who would you lash out on? Anyone. Mm. I th- on tra- in traffic, 
or someone said something wrong to me, you know. Looked at you funny. Yeah, I would just go off. Wow, that's hard. Yeah, so. It sounds like, like you were like very angry and you didn't know how to express it. Yeah, I was angry at life. What were you angry at life? Like the friends that left you? I'm like, yeah, I'm all of, you know, I'm putting so much effort. I spent so much time with the people because money, anything else, you can always get again, you know? But time, when time is gone, it's gone. You're never going to buy time. So I have so much time invested. They care about all the other stuff, you know? So for me, it was like, you care so much about the money, the fight, the whatever. I thought we have a real friendship. So You're like, I care about you. I care about this relationship. Yes. I'm like, like, yeah, I care about the relationship. The money is there. We can always make money. Just because you lose one one fight, it doesn't mean it's over, you know? But they look at it like it's over. So for me, it was like, all right. I have it all, but it doesn't mean anything. So I started letting myself go. Put on 40 pounds. Really? I was fat. I was so fat. <laughs> Literally, I was like 210 pounds. I was fighting 160 pounds. Wow. Yeah, I was so fat. But then I got, you know, my wife started helping me. She put me back on track. Wait, wife? Yeah. Wait, you guys are married? <laughs> oh, yeah. Damn, I thought you were fiancé still. <laughs> oh, no, no, we are, we're married. Hold no. on. We got to <laughs> backtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. By the way, when my dad starts getting out, we got to, we gotta, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully uh, Kirk can edit all the sounds out. <laughs> These are good microphones. He should be able to. You I know. know. It's funny. Um, okay, so around this time, you know, when you're anger, angry and lashing out, were you already married? No, uh, we were dating. Oh, you guys? We were, were living together. Okay. So we she were- was around... Keep it in your mind. Hey, Dad. Huh? Yeah, you make it. Well, which way is it? It's five minutes away. So you're gonna go down the street, mm-hmm. make a right on Riverside. Okay. I'm sorry. Make a right on Cuenga. Okay. Left on Riverside, and then it's gonna be on your right hand side on on when you're driving on Riverside. Off of Burbank Boulevard. Off of Riverside. Okay. Cuenga. Make a right on Cuenga. Make a left on Riverside. Okay. It's on Riverside. All right. There you go. No more interference. Yeah, we love Trader Joe's. Yeah. yeah. What do you guys want? No, I just we just love the place. Oh, okay. <laughs> As soon as you want me to tell you, want to tell me? Thank you. Thank you. Get this. Um. Well, that's good because then we won't have any more interruptions. <laughs> no pitter patters, Calvin. Yes. Um. Okay. So. Around the time you lost this fight, um, you and your wife are, were dating, living yeah. together. So she went through this challenge with you. So the thing was, after I hated it here. I hated it in Los Angeles. My wife made me love this place. I just came here for work, you know. It helped me to change my life. I was living, making money, and I had a career going on. So I was living a good life, but I just didn't like the people here. But because the people I was around, you know, mm. so they just all I was all I know was people like that. That everyone here is like that. So I didn't really know. What were those people like? They were the different, you know. Like superficial. Yeah, it was just how would I say that? It's just like 
everything is like this. This is America. Everyone here is like that. So say, if you don't like this, then they tell me, then it's like, everyone is like that. And I just know these people, you know, I came here and that's all I know and all I see. And then after I lost the fight, I actually wanted to go home. I never come back, you know. I wanted to just stay back. And I said, I'm just going to stay here. I was thinking about retiring. Retiring? Yeah. Wow. At 26? 26. 25. 25. I was 25. I was just about to turn 26. So how did you get out of that? Like that that time where you were just angry and lashing out and lost all your so-called friends, you know? Like how'd you get out of that rut? My wife helped me, you know? She came to Germany, so we did a Europe. We traveled around Europe. Mm-hmm. Went like to all the places, and then I came. I went to Turkey. She came back to the United States, and I came back. I was gonna come here. See, I said, okay, I'm gonna come back to LA. I'll try. And I came here. I was. I the one day if I would miss my flight, I was about to miss my flight. If I would miss the flight, I would never come here. Because there was a pandemic happened the next day. Really? Yeah, so the day after, everything was closed. So I couldn't fly, so I got lucky. Do you remember the date? I think it was March 11 or 12. Wow. March, early March, mid-March. I don't remember the exact day, but it was like, I remember that the next day, a couple, two days maybe, a couple days, but a very short time, Mm -hmm. everything was closed. Yeah. You know, so I couldn't come here, but I came here, and then we spent some time here, and then. Is there any is there anything like that you did specifically that helped you besides your wife? Like, was it positive talk? Was it meditation? Was it? It was just me trying to live quit crazy. I'm just losing it, you know, because I can't be mean. And the mean side out of me, of me just came out, but my wife put up with it, helped me and helped me. So keep going, keep going. And I went, I went up to Big Bear for a couple of weeks, a month, mm. training. And then after I came back from Big Bear, we decided to go back home to Germany. So because I needed a break, you know. I need to spend some time with my family to really figure it out. Yeah. So I went to, we went to Germany for six months. And then we stayed there for six months. And then we decided to come back to the United States. I was feeling way better. So I came back and I started recovering. Day by day, I was feeling better. And half a year, a year later, I felt even better than before. So now, right now, I'm feeling so good. I never felt like this early on. When I was a teenager, I was feeling this way. It's been a while since I felt comfortable and confident like I do now. Yeah. So it sounded like to me that you just grounded yourself. You took time off to breathe, to enjoy life, to spend time with the people that you love, that who loved you regardless of your success. Exactly. So that helped me to get back on my feet, to understand, to remember what my purpose and goal is in life, you know? So I started doing that, and it helped me most become a family person. Mm-hmm. I don't get to see them often, but I've always been a family person. So that motivated me again, seeing 
the home, seeing how I grew up, reminded me to, shit, if you stay here, you're going to run out of money eventually. Yeah. <laughs> and then, what are you going to do? So I said, let's go back. Let's try it differently now. I'll be different people, new people, new yeah. life. Then we moved to a different place, a very nice place. That helped. Nice. When you live in a nice place, you feel good. You yeah. Nice. When you live in a better neighborhood and yes, a exactly. good environment. So then I started loving it more. I started living again. Felt alive. And then I started with Brick House. And that gave me... And I got off my con- my contracts were over. And then when my contract was over, I was like, all right, I'm a free man now. And there's a second chapter of my career and life. Then I started in January this year, my second chapter of my career and life. That's amazing. Everything fresh. Yeah. And you look yeah. happy. You look well. I'm very happy now. I love life. I love living. I love everything. No more lashing out? No. You got positive people around me now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I made the right helpful. choice. Yeah. I think it's an interesting thing when you when you reach success at an early age and you learn early, you know, because I think for me, and you can tell me if you agree with this, for me, I was just hungry. Like, I just wanted m- to make money as fast right. as I could. I just, I, I grew up in a very poor neighborhood here in L.A. Um, also, yeah, and, and the part of neighborhood I grew up in L.A., like, I didn't realize that I was surrounded by opportunities in Los Angeles because it was such a bubble. Exactly. So even I though I grew up in Los Angeles, I grew up in a small town and it was like a bubble. Like I we didn't really go outside of that perimeter. And so for me, you know, when I turned 18, I was like, oh, I need to get out of here. I need to like make money, make money fast and just change so my sweet. environment, change my life and succeed. And it was for me, I was at the cost of relationships, you know, and friendships um and time that i never got back and ambition. so i ambition it was you know i think ambition can be a good thing and a bad exactly. thing exactly you know you can be ambition ambitious in pursuing wanting to do better and be better um but i think it is important to make sure that you don't forget who will always be there even if you don't win yeah so you learned I, I learned that and because it's a lot of discipline mm-hmm, because the people who were there at the end were my family, were my friends, were the people who have known me since I was young and were always going to have my back no matter what I did, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy to forget that when you're young and and successful and you start making new friends and you, you know, you lose sight of that. But, exactly, mm-hmm. you know? And then when you feel, especially when you feel like you're on a run, you forget about a lot of things. Did you feel like that? I did. I did. It, it was, it's interesting because there's something you said earlier that I've mentioned, which is you never get time back. Yeah, you don't. You know, and it's gone. there's one thing that I learned from my father that was good is to work hard. But the thing that I learned from working hard is that you should also take some of that time off to spend time with people you love. Because relationships are just as as valuable, exactly. if not invaluable. You can't put a price on them. Yeah, and when they're gone, the relationship is over, it's over. Yeah. It'll never be the same. It'll never be the same. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, because when your business, you put a lot of time in it. You need focus. A lot of new people, especially in L.A., 
LA is the place. LA, this, even if we grow up in LA, I never see this per, someone that I see today. I will never see him again. It's like you don't see the people here twice. It's so big and. You know? <laughs> I that I have actually have. <laughs> really. <laughs> You, I've seen you several I times. I never see the no, people just, twice. I've you've seen, seen them more than twice. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. At the gym. <laughs> Only at the gym. Only where you go. That's true. That's yeah. true. No, but I saw Chris went to a, a, a Chris at Ralph's buying chocolate. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I seen him at Brickhouse earlier, and then I went to the gym to get. Oh, I went to the to the gym. I went to Ralph's, and, and then I saw him. Chris there. He's like, hey, what's up, Nicole? I was like, Chris. <laughs> I'm not surprised. And he came, That's what he does. Yeah, he came by the, the checking cashier, and he's like, you want a piece of chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> the crazy thing about Chris is he eats so much shit, right? He's still jacked. You yeah. know he used to be chubby, too? Really? Yeah. He showed me a picture. He looked out of shape. Oh, so out of shape. Wow, I thought it was just genetics. No, 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 no. He showed me a picture. It's around the time him and Sally met. He was a chubby boy. <laughs> <laughs> God, that I can't even imagine. Because he eats only, he never eats healthy food. Oh, well, because he runs five miles yeah. a day. But he, I thought it was genetics, so he didn't look, he was not in shape before. Mm-mm. He round face, <laughs> like the whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> and he was bodybuilding at the time. Really? He was bodybuilding, but he was hefty. He was a hefty boy. He was boy. a big guy. <laughs> yeah, he was a big boy. <laughs> That's funny. He's going to twist himself. <laughs> um, but, oh, sorry, we went to a totally different direction. <laughs> um, but, man, yeah, people are important. I think I, I think I value my relationships now than I ever have, you know? Yeah, it's more important than anything. Yeah. Money is just... People give so much important, like it's so important to people. Money is, but money is come and go. Relationships, life, memories, they can, you can buy that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's a famous quote that um, you can always get get more money, but you can never get more time. Time, time right. is the one asset that you can never get more of. Yeah. Once it's time worth. is money. Yeah. It's priceless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Time is more the most important thing for me now. Yeah. I, we don't think like that when we're like early 20s, like money, let's make this happen, live a good life. But once you get to that point, like, is it really worth it? You know? Yeah. Yeah, because you want to be successful, but at what cost? Exactly. Uh, there was, um, I haven't told this story on my podcast, but I've told other people. I think when I was, it was a few years ago, before I quit finance to be a filmmaker. Um, <laughs> How is that going? <laughs> it's going great. I'm writing a couple scripts. That's great. <laughs> I'm auditioning, you know, putting myself out there. But I um I bought a rental property and uh when I bought it I bought it alone. Really? I didn't have no one to to celebrate with. I remember flying to Florida. Uh I bought it out there. I signed the papers. I flew back by myself. And like how did that make you feel? Like, I tried calling. Genuinely? No, it was so lonely. Right. I tried calling my dad, and at the time, you know, my dad and I were like on rough waters. You know, I think I was upset at him about something for a long time, and so you know, we weren't that close as we are now. But I didn't have a lot of close friends, and I had no one to celebrate with, and it was so lonely. This is sad part about it. Was it was so lonely, and I was like, I don't want to ever not have people to celebrate with. Exactly. So, so then you start thinking, what is this worth? You know? Mm-hmm. Well, I have all this now, but yeah. alone. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think I think we've emphasized a lot. Yeah. I hope you guys are taking notes out Take there. Notes. The young kids, mm-hmm. the older especially people. Especially the young ones. Especially the young ones. The old ones. ones know, I hope. No, the old ones. <laughs> I hope they know. <laughs> they might not. They might they not. Might not they might not. Someday they never But it, Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are. I feel like everyone has their own path and their own journey in yes. life. And sometimes you learn things later than other people. And so I think we're we're blessed to learn this at our age. I mean, 28, come on. Exactly. Like the type of knowledge and wisdom that you have, not a lot of 28-year-olds have. That's what I think. And I think it's a blessing it as is. well, you know? Yeah, it is. When you when you go through a tumultuous upbringing or you, go up, like you grow up in poverty, right. you know, you learn different lessons and you learn how to appreciate different, things differently. That's why we like to give. With a lot of people, they never experienced that. They don't. So I love to give. I always give. But I think people that never experienced that roughness, they don't know. They don't understand. So I can't be mad at them. But they should educate themselves about that, you know? Yeah. What would you say before we wrap up? Because I think this is great. I think this has been a great episode so far. I I think think people are going to walk away with a lot. Um, what would you say is the number one thing people misunderstand about you? Uh, that's a good question. The number one thing they misunderstand about me, I think, is that I'm so focused on being successful in my career. I am. It's very important for me. But I have bigger purposes than that in life, you know? I really make a change in the world than be just a successful athlete. So I will rather use the tools that come with being successful to make a change. That's what I, people just think, oh, he just cares. Some people even tell me, oh, you just care about this, care about this. And I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. For me, is I care about being successful in my career, but I have a bigger purpose than just being a successful athlete. Some people get that wrong. Yeah. yeah. What, do, what do you think that purpose is and what change do you want to make? That e- equality. How do you say equality? Equality. Equality. That like, people are equal, you know, and everyone should have the same rights. They should, you know, be treated the same way. Mm. So I'm a professional athlete and someone who's just someone walking on the street. We're the same. I'm just a better boxer. Doesn't mean I'm a better person. Mm-hmm. I'm a better boxer. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. You want people to be treated as people, yes. regardless of where Same. they come from. Right. There should be no hung- hunger, especially food. Mm. Part of my journey is yeah. feeding the people because there's a lot of hungry people. And that's a lot of things I want to make a change. I don't like seeing hungry people. Yeah. You know, so people that are hungry, poor, they should get help, more help, stuff like that. Yeah, the, like the the basic needs. Yeah, there's a lot of hungry people in LA. And a lot of them are on drugs, so I don't really do much for the people on drugs because it's hard to help. I'm, a doc- I'm not a doctor. Yeah. But the actual hungry people, you know, this, I've seen a lot of people around me. They say, oh, you should go find a job. Treating the homeless so bad. I'm like, you don't know what he's going Maybe You don't know why he's homeless. So why do you talk to him like this? Well, a lot of people are hungry. 
everywhere. You know, LA, it's Los Angeles is like uh, the most expensive city, superstars, but we have more homeless people than back in Turkey here. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's important. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing that you, I think when you go through something like that, because I've definitely been there too. So you understand. I, I you know, I've had days where I've, I'm like, what am I going to eat? How am I going to yeah. eat today? Not what am I going to eat? But how? How? And then you start thinking. And imagine you see someone that's hungry, you can understand. Yeah. No, someone you understand what it is not to have food. Mm-hmm. Right. So you feel for the person. Yeah, exactly. If you never had that problem, you will not feel for the person because you don't know. Yeah. But then it's important to educate yourself. Exactly. You know? That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. That's important for me. So... That's why I feel like I'm misunderstood sometimes. People see me. I'm not a flashy person. I like to dress nice. Ooh, flashy. Talk <laughs> yeah. about flashy. So Talk that's about that new car. People always get exactly nice car, but I just like having nice things. Yeah. But it doesn't make me a fancy person. Yeah. I'm still the people's person. Should yeah. we tell them our secret? Kind of. No. Should we tell them? Yeah, I don't know if you want to. He's like, what secret? <laughs> what is the secret? He's like, I have no idea the what you know. He's like, Courtney, I swear I don't know. <laughs> People here don't know. No, should we tell them a secret, the, our secret about the Mercedes? I know what you mean. but Oh, yeah. you do? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't sure if you I got it or not. I know what you mean. <laughs> Let's tell them. Uh, yeah, tell them. But, uh, you yeah. tell them. The thing is, see, I come from a family. <laughs> mm-hmm. We bought a new car. I bought the same car you bought. Yes. <laughs> Just in black. <laughs> oh, man. That yeah. leather interior looks good, too. It's nice, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we got a car accident. What? Already? No, not this one. Oh, my no, God. I was like, what? You the already one, I just one. bought it. The one before this. Okay. Yeah. So, we're deciding to get a new car. So, I was thinking, because I didn't know the how it works here. Because back home, I know my, my family all working dealerships. My uncle owns a dealership, so I grew up with cars. So it never was smart for me to buy a brand new car, you know? And then, so we got an accident, and when I talked to you, you told me how cheap, the prices are cheap, actually. I didn't know. I was like, God, that was like a $30,000, $40,000 car, and I'm not going to spend that much on the car. Yeah. You know, and then when you told me, I started looking, actually, to the same car. Yeah. And I found a very good one for a good price. So this is a life hack, you guys. And I want to tell you guys about this life hack. Yeah, you should. And I learned it from an old boss of mine. Shout out to William Townsend. Shout out. (laughs) Shout out to (laughs) him. When I, after the financial crash happened and I was carless taking the bus. (laughs) Really? I was taking the bus. Really? Yeah, I was. So now you appreciate you know, that's Oh my nice God, are you kidding me? Yeah. After the financial cash, when I lost all my friends and all my money. <laughs> and I was I was taking the bus and I, I started working for this guy who owned a bunch of real estate. I don't think I told you the backstory to it. No. Started working for this guy who owned a bunch of real estate. Um, I owed tickets on my license. I owed like $3,000 in parking tickets. Or not parking tickets, like court fees so my license was suspended (laughs) like i didn't have a license i didn't have a car i didn't have money i didn't have a job like i was i was what is it called in the in the hole yeah deep hole yeah i was like at the bottom rock bottom i was at rock Rock bottom bottom. (laughs) 
And so I started working for William and, you know, I started making money with him. And so I slowly but surely started getting back up on my feet um, because of the gen- that gentleman who I ended up working for who owned so many properties around L.A. Like he owned over 350 units, apartment buildings in L.A. <clears throat> Damn. And so I told him, I think I have well, enough Donald money. <laughs> no, no, please not. Don't, well, it's a whole other story. So I told him, I think I'm ready to buy a car. He goes, okay, great. He goes, yeah, I can, you know, I can help you pick out a car or whatnot. Like, what are you thinking? It's like, oh, I want this like a uh, Toyota Camry or a Honda Accord, which is just kind of the general car that you would buy from my neighborhood. Yeah. He's like, you think those are the cheaper cars. Bro. Yeah, well, like, they're, the same affo- price. they're affordable, hmm. right? And he goes, I'm not helping you buy no Honda Accord <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> Toyota Camry. And I'm like, but that's what I can afford. <laughs> he goes, how much do you want to spend on a car? I was like, 10000 at the most. He goes, okay, we can get you a Mercedes for nine. I'm like, but I can't afford a Mercedes. The maintenance is so expensive. The parts are expensive. That's what everyone talks about, right? Mm. And he goes, you can afford a Mercedes. It's a mentality. And I'm like, That's true. And I was like, yeah, it's true. Because once, so I was like, no, I can't. And so anyways, long story short, we went out and we bought a 2003 C250 for $9,800. My payment was like $240 a month. This is 2003, and I bought it in 2009. So it was a pretty new yeah. car back then. And that's a very good price. And it was a really good price. And I kept that car until 280,000 miles. See, the I'm telling you, the Benz is they 9,500. I yeah. hardly ever had to fix that car up. Yeah. And I remember, you know, friends of mine who has the Hondas and had the Camrys, they always, there was always something wrong. They always, like, yes, the parts were cheaper, but they would have to fix it up more often. More things would break down. And I noticed with the Mercedes, things wouldn't break down. And so he taught me, he's like, look, the key is look at the model Mercedes you want because they're great. They're really well-made cars. He goes, look at the, the um, let's say it's uh, the 2003, right? So that model was like from 2001 till I think 2000. Four, five, like it's like a certain amount of years that that model stays the same physically like on the exterior. They just upgrade the technology. It was like, look at the older models and that's the car you look for. Exactly. And he goes, that's so you don't buy it new, but you look for the newest model. And then you look at when was the la- when was the first time they created that model exterior wise. And then you buy that one with low mileage with one, no more than two owners. And make sure that used car was taken to the dealership to have all their maintenance done. And there's record of that maintenance. Then you know yeah, you're getting a good car. Exactly. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. And <laughs> so I told you that too, yeah. right? And because so that's how it works. When you buy a brand new car, say you buy a car for $60,000. Once you take it out of the dealership, that car is only worth $50,000. You don't even have my driver. You just bought that car. Yeah. Already lost ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars on worth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I bought in three Mercedes that way. I always I look at the the, the model I want, the brand new one, the one that's like seventy five thousand dollars <laughs> that I can't afford, and then I look at the oldest, you know, the older models, and older. I see what how how far back can I go for it to get the same body exterior wise. 
And then, yeah. And then that's how I got my car. It was 16. Yeah, because you have the newer version. Mm-hmm. Yours is newer than yeah. mine. But the, there's a, the, there's a we call a facelift. Yeah. So there's the, older, the same car, but it's an older version, kind of. Exactly. It looks a little different. Yeah. So you, you have the one I have. Yeah. The new version. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that's our little secret. If you have more questions, just you comment buy a car, below. Don't buy a brand new car. That's no make sense. No. People and you don't can... get that, though, you know? They always think, buy a brand new car, going to go off for years and years. Um, how long do you want to drive that car? Yeah. Cars yeah. are meant to be driven. Yeah. But I think for me, like, what the big thing was when he told me, make sure the used car you buy was serviced at the dealership and the dealership has record of it. Exactly. Those are the best cars you can buy yeah. because you know that they're well taken care of. You can have a newer car that wasn't taken care of and... And they're not going to last. Exactly. Yeah. But that's a trick, guess. Yeah. Never, because as I always say, when I came here first, I'm, because that's how we do it back home in Germany. So when I see my friends buying a brand new car, a Honda or whatever, for thirty, forty thousand dollars, I'm like, you bought this car for forty thousand dollars? Well, we could buy an S Class, a used one. You would drive, you have a couple thousand miles on it, but you're gonna buy, drive a very nice car, you know? Yeah, that's gonna last longer too. They're built exactly. to last. Yeah. E classes last along the most. Yeah. In Germany, they use them as taxis because they last forever. Yeah. <laughs> we told them our secret. And we're you also. told me, and I told them now we go. Now we tell everyone. <laughs> Why not? Now we're 20, too. Exactly. We go out together when we're 20. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this is a great combo. I think that wraps it up. That Do you have anything great, else great. you want to tell the people? Just take this to heart and get inspired by it. Hey. You know. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Take this to heart and get inspired by it. That's a good slogan for the power of ambition. Yes. Take this to heart. Exactly. That's to. I'll, I'll get my because Take this to heart. This to heart. <laughs> You know, you know, I'm talking for so long, so take it to heart, God damn it. Yes, yes, exactly. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Power Ambition. Yeah. Jem, thank you for joining me. I Thanks said your name right? Me. Yes, that's right. Okay, Jem. Yeah. But you can still call him Killer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't care about the last name. Killer, Killer, because all sounds Well, because good. it just sounds yeah. great because you're a boxer. Exactly. Like, killer, this is Jem, the killer. killer. I'm kill you in the ring. Not yeah. kill you in the ring. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Let's okay, yeah. yeah. Let's Good cut night. there. Yeah, let's cut. Let's cut there. And we'll but, kill her anyway, though. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna let's kill this episode. Kill the people we're those. gonna end this podcast now. <laughs> High five. That's a good one. Thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs>